Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the pew in front of you, turn with me to the gospel according to Mark chapter 6. New Testament book of Mark chapter 6. This morning we will be reading together verses 1 to 6. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way verse by verse through the book of Mark, where Mark points to Jesus as our king and shows us what it means to live in his new kingdom, to live for Jesus as our Lord and King. And this morning, we are going to journey with Jesus as he makes his way back home for a very surprising trip. With all that in mind, we're going to read verses 1 to 6 together. This is the word of the Lord. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. It used to be the case that if you had a TV show that you were really into, that you really followed, watching that show was an appointment. You had to be on the couch Thursday night at 8 o'clock or you missed your show. And you had to do that every Thursday night at 8 o'clock, week after week after week. We didn't have Netflix. We didn't have streaming right? And everything's changed in the way we watch these shows. If there was a cliffhanger, you would have to wait an entire week to see what happens next. If it was at the end of the season finale, you might have to wait six months. And now, if it's an older show, you can watch episode after episode, season after season, and finish that thing in a weekend if you don't leave your house. Gospel of Mark is kind of like a TV show with several seasons helping us see Jesus on the move. This passage is the season finale of season two. All the way back in Mark chapter four, we begin a season that's all about Jesus's power and his wonder and his miracles. We've seen Jesus calm the storm. We've seen Jesus enter a graveyard and deliver a man from a, a demon possession. We've seen Jesus heal a woman who's been sick for 12 years and raise a little girl from the dead, and we get to the season finale. And like one of those shows that you watch season after season, and, and you notice that the writers kind of do the same thing over and over again, and where you might have been shocked in the first season, but after you've seen five or six seasons, not as much of a surprise. 
you might think that after watching miracle after miracle after miracle, you know where this is going. That you know how the episode ends. That you know what Jesus is going to do and how he's going to do it and what's going to happen. But Mark brings us out of our comfort and shocks us more than any surprise ending you might find on any TV show. And he shows us this truth that the people in this room need to hear the most. The minute you think you have Jesus figured out, he surprises you again. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear this, especially those of you who have been going to church since you were not even nine months from birth. That you've been here every Sunday of your entire life. You're in here every time the doors are open and you think you know Jesus. The minute you think you're there, he is going to shock you and stun you one more time. What I want to do this morning is look at this homecoming from both sides, from the people's side and from Jesus' side, and we are going to look at what amazes each one of them, we're going to look at how they respond to it, and we're going to look at how we fit in. With all that in mind, the first side of the homecoming is the people of Nazareth in verses 1 to 3. Let's look at it from their side one more time. Verses 1 to 3, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How were such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This is Not the first time in the book of Mark we've seen Jesus at the synagogue. All the way back in the first season, in chapter 1, Jesus enters the synagogue in Capernaum and preaches there, delivers a man with an unclean spirit. And the people in Capernaum react this way. In chapter 1, verse 27, Mark says they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, Jesus gets home. He goes to the synagogue like he does. He begins to preach, and he amazes the people again, but they're asking a different question. They don't say, what is this? Look at verse 2. They say, where did this man get these things? They're blown away by Jesus. But they do not consider what he's preaching. Notice in their questions, there's six questions. They they don't talk about what Jesus taught. They don't consider the text, the Old Testament prophet that's been read. They don't think about what God is saying to them in their life this morning. They don't respond to the word with worship. As one writer puts it, they're too busy discussing and arguing about Jesus to actually listen to him. Now, just quickly, we're going to get here later, but how many of us go to church that way? How many of our Sunday schools just turn into that? We don't really talk about how Jesus meets our life. We don't really consider what the Bible is saying to us. We don't really apply it. We just want to talk theories about theology. 
We just want to talk about some sentimental truths that the Bible teaches and not really dig in deep. We don't actually talk about what God might be saying to us and we leave home, we leave and go home safe and sound. How many of us go to church like the people of Nazareth? But what amazes them, what stuns them, is the disconnect between Jesus' abilities and his background. It's the disconnect between his power and his upbringing. It doesn't make sense to them. His wisdom and power, they're obvious to everyone in the room. Everyone's impressed. Everyone leaves and says, good job, pastor. That's great. It was a great service. I'm really happy and excited to have been here this morning. But they don't get it because Jesus grew up just like them in an ordinary small town like Nazareth. Jesus apprenticed at the wood shop. He worked with tools. He didn't go to rabbi school and read the Torah. Beyond that, no one else in his family has any kind of skills that would, that would lead you to think that Jesus would grow up and be able to teach this way. No one in his family tree ever performed like this. Where did he get these things? In their own way, they're asking the question Nathaniel asked in John chapter 1, verse 46, when Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And instead, think of this, the Son of God is in the room preaching, giving the word to them. I mean, would you not want to be there that morning? And instead of celebrating the grace of God that they get to be in the room, when that's happening, how do they respond? Verse 3, they took offense at him. The word offense means to be put off, to be repelled. They do not want any of Jesus. And instead of finding salvation in the gospel right in front of them, they stumble and fall away. And they live up to the proverb of their day, Jesus quotes, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and they fulfill the words of their very own prophets. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now just pause for a second. Let me ask you this. This helps us to have confidence in the word of God and in this gospel of Mark. If Mark is trying to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, if Mark is trying to convince people that Jesus is the one true Savior of the world, why would he include this story where he shows up and everyone rejects him? Why would he give us this picture of failure? Well, one, because it happened and the Word of God is trustworthy. And two, because it points us ahead to what Jesus came to do in the first place and the rejection he would receive once and for all from his people. John chapter 19 verse 15, when given the chance to pull Jesus back away from the cross, they cry out and say, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. This 
homecoming of rejection, brothers and sisters, is a preview of the gospel of God. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus, to be a servant who would take on humiliation, to take on weakness, and to die the death of a criminal. Isaiah 53 told us that the servant would be despised by man and crushed by God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ came to his hometown and to this world so that he could be rejected and so that you could be accepted. Jesus came to be dishonored so that you could be lifted up and honored with him in eternity. And God was so pleased with what Jesus did, he rose him from the grave on the third day so that you could have life if you accept him. This message, the Bible tells us, still trips people up. And even as I speak these words right now, people stumble over this good news. It doesn't make sense. Paul tells us Christ crucified is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Friend, Jesus did all of this. He took the offense and the rejection so that you could belong to him and belong to God because in your sin, you could do nothing to get to him. He had to do it for you. And the call to belong to God is simple. It's to repent and believe in this Christ. Friend, Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 6, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Friend, if the Lord is calling you to receive him today, do not take offense at the message of the gospel. Embrace Jesus Christ today. Now, some of you are thinking, I know this part. I got it. You think it's for someone else, that the gospel is only for people who haven't heard it. You think you have it figured out. I want you to look again at this visit home, but this time from Jesus' side of things, and think again. We're going to read verses 4 and 6. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, that's Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Does your version of Jesus get amazed? Does your version of the Son of God get shocked? There's only one other time we see Jesus amazed in Scripture. A Roman soldier, a Roman soldier, the enemy, comes to Jesus and says, there's a servant in my house who's going to die. He needs to be healed. But look, I know that you're a leader and I understand what leadership looks like. I belong to the Roman army. So you just say the word, commander, and my servant will be healed. 
And Jesus looks at this Roman soldier in Matthew 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He's amazed at his faith. But then he goes home, and it's the other side of the coin. Verse 6, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Let me be clear, nothing shocks God, nothing surprises him, but in his humanity, what blows Jesus away is how unwilling the people of Israel were to believe him. If you think about the four soils, what Jesus was amazed at was how hard soil could get. He could not believe it. And how does Jesus respond Verse 5, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. We've been on the move with Jesus for a while. This is not the first episode or first season that many of us have watched, and we think we have it figured out. What have we seen Jesus do? Let's, let's do previously on Jesus on the move. What's happened so far? Jesus can say one word and calm the raging seas. In one order, Jesus can move the powers of darkness to do his will and go into some pigs who fall off a cliff into the sea. Jesus can bring instant healing to someone with just the touch of his robe. Jesus can whisper your name and bring you up from the dead. By this time... We should be able to say with Job, as he did in chapter 42, verse 1, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing is impossible for God. And Mark tells us in this passage, Jesus does heal a few people. Jesus could force the issue. He doesn't because he knows even if he does, even if he takes it a step further, even if he does some kind of miracle, the, the soil is too hard and they won't even believe. Even if they saw the resurrection from the dead, they would not believe this prophet. This is less about what Jesus cannot do and it's more about what he will not do. It's less a matter of his true power as the Son of God, and it's more about his principle. As one writer puts it, and you need to hear this, Jesus will not work where he is not wanted. Friends, do we know that? Jesus will not work where he is not wanted. Now let me ask a question that you just may assume the answer to. I'm going to ask it for your individual life, and I want to ask it for us as a community. If Jesus will not work where he is not wanted, could Jesus work here? Does Jesus have the space in the room to work here? Do we really want that? Do you really want the authority of the Word of God to tell you how to live? Do you really want the King, of Je King Jesus to be able to step into your life and to tell you, repent? Do you really want to change in order to live for Christ? Do you really want to drop religious ceremony and tradition and live by faith? Do you really want to be a part of the kingdom or do you just want a Jesus sticker on your life? Are we content with just being impressed by his power and wisdom 
Are we content with never letting the message move from our head and enter our heart? Do we really want him? If Jesus were to come here today, what would amaze him? Our faith or our lack of it? In this day of trouble, would Jesus step in this room and see people who are marked by the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? Would he see a group of people so committed to the gospel they lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance this race that is set before us? Would Jesus step into this room and say, this is a house of prayer totally dependent on my power for life? Hebrews 11.6, brothers and sisters, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Where is the power of God today? Where is it in your life? Where is it in the life of this church? Excuse me. One writer warns us that unbelief robs the church of its power. If you're looking for the power of God in your life and in the church to be in some performance, in some music, in some message, in some Bible study, you're looking in the wrong place. It's in our faith or lack thereof. We can try to perform and, and put on a show and do whatever we can to manufacture the power of God, but without believing in Christ, nothing will happen. And it's easy to read this passage. I know I, I did this so many times. It's easy to read this passage and just look at Nazareth and say, can you believe them? Jesus shows up and they don't even believe. But be careful, friends. Paul, in the book of Romans, warns us against this attitude. In chapter 11, he basically says, if this happened to the Jews, Gentiles, it can happen to you. Translation, if this can happen in Nazareth, you better believe it can happen in Carl Junction, Missouri. Verse 20 of chapter 11, Paul says, do not become proud then, but fear. Why were the people of Nazareth unable to experience the power of the gospel? Warren Wearsby answers the question, it's because they thought they really knew Jesus. They were so familiar with Jesus as a boy, they could not really see Jesus as a savior. Now look back with me one more time on this season we've been through, on Jesus' journey around the lake. There's a glaring surprise I'm not sure how many of us have seen as, as Jesus has made his trip around the lake. He's gone over the sea in the boat. He's gone to the graveyard. He's gone to someone's deathbed. But what do we see in chapter 6? Do you see it? The synagogue 
The place of worship was more dangerous than the storm. The house of worship was darker than the graveyard haunted by the demons. The Bible study was more horrific than the girl's deathbed. Friend, the worst place to be is close to Jesus without really believing Jesus. The worst place to be is so comfortable with the things of God, you never deal with God. And friends, some of us have played this religious game our whole life, and we've played it really well. And the bad news is, this is the worst place to be for you. It's the most dangerous place to be for you. If you will not repent and believe in Christ and embrace him with all of your life. David Garland writes, has Jesus' story become humdrum? Have we lost our sense of all? Does our fascination with the exotic lead us to look for truth in what is new or different? Brothers and sisters, we must guard against the attitude of Nazareth. I already know him. What can he teach me now? If you think you have Jesus figured out, please think again. The Bible tells us that on the final day, Jesus is going to amaze a lot of people. They're going to come to him and say, look what we did for you, Jesus. Look at all the things our church did for you, Jesus. Look at the way I served you, Jesus. Look at everything I did with my life for you, Jesus. And he's going to say, who are you? I don't know you. Please get out of my room. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. May we have ears to hear that. And when Nazareth hardens their hearts, what happens? What happens at the end of this episode? Jesus leaves and goes to preach in the villages. And hear this, Jesus never steps foot in the synagogue again. Jesus is done with them. If we will not let Jesus move in us, Jesus will move on from us. Church family, is that the Jesus you know? If it happened in Nazareth, it can happen here. It can happen to you and me. Brothers and sisters, if just because Jesus worked here at this church in the past does not mean he will work here tomorrow. If Jesus showed up in our country in the past, it does not mean that he will next time. Do we just assume that God owes us that? That we've done enough for him to put some more of that in our account? Do we just assume that God's going to continue to do things the way he has for us, for our children and our grandchildren, if we just continue to play a church game? Or do we, brothers and sisters, enter these doors 
week by week, do we open our Bible morning by morning with the teachable spirit and attitude that says, I don't know Jesus quite enough. I need to see you more. I need to know more. I need you to teach me more. Show me something new of yourself today, Jesus. Or do we open our Bibles? Do we enter the church doors thinking, I already know. Jesus will not move where he is wanted. Friends, if you want that for your community, if you want that for your kids, if you want that for your grandkids, then you and I must be good soil. We must be the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. If you want that for the next generation, then you need to want Jesus enough to be teachable, to be moldable, and to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, do not harden your hearts. Lord God, give us ears to hear today. Let us pray.